Thank you for tuning in. We trust you will feel encouraged, uplifted, and inspired to build God's kingdom with us. Enjoy the message. All right, it's really good to have you here this morning. And um, we are going to start a new series this morning, a very brief series. And um, it's on our theme, which is switched on. And uh, so that's where we're going this morning. If you were here last week, Rolof shared the vision for the church. And um, I'm not sure about you. You weren't very responsive last week, by the way. But um, it's, it's really exciting what God wants to do with our church and what God wants to do with you and me and in this community and this, this city and, and further and beyond that. And so we are heading for exciting times. That is a prophetic word. <laughs> we are heading for exciting times because Jesus Christ is alive. And his church is powerful, and it is the hope of the world. And so we are going to respond to what God is challenging us with. And if you remember, Rulof, in that video, he ended off by saying, please, would you participate? And so we're going to say that a lot this year. Please participate, because uh, we'll never get it done unless the church rises up and uh, follows what God's calling us to do. So we are talking now about being switched on to your local church, being switched on to your barn. We're going to do that for probably three weeks. And then we're going to talk about being switched on to reaching our communities. And so if you want to know in a nutshell, this three weeks is going to encourage you to get serious about your church. And next three weeks are going to encourage you to get serious about reaching the lost in our community. And so now, now do not come to church now that you know what, where we're going. All right. We believe with all our hearts. Daniel, am I ready? There we go. That the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. I'll tell you why the local church is the hope of the world. Because we, the local church, carry and present and represent Jesus Christ who is the hope to the world. It's not going to happen by, by angels coming down and changing our communities or our country. It's going to happen when we rise up to the inspiration and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and we go and change the world for Jesus Christ. That's why the church is the hope of the world. I can make it personal for you today. You are the hope of the world. You and I are the hope of the world. We often forget that when we speak about church, we, we often think about a building, this building, a building we're going to build, and all these kind of things. But it actually isn't that. The church is you and me. I, we the church. And sometimes we forget that. And when we look at the church, we look at um, this organization or other people. But every time you say church, it should, you should go, church. I'm the church. I'm the church. I'm the one who God's calling to make a difference in the world for His name's sake, under the banner of His church. And so that's what's exciting. That's why it's so personal for each one of us. We have a dream. And when you look at the, the, the if you look at last week, as Rulof preached about this dream, um, I was thinking about the book of Acts again. Uh, Acts 2, where it talks about this New Testament church. And I know that you've heard many, many sermons about the New Testament church in Acts. And you're going to get another one this morning. And so brace yourself. But the, the truth is, is that we all desire, when we look at that church, when we look at the power and the miracles and the signs and the wonders, and here's the exciting part, thousands of people got saved. We look at that and we go, we want to see that in our day. We want to see God's church powerful like that. We want to see God move like that. We want to see the church have influence and impact like that. Because if it could happen then, it could happen now because he's the same God. He's never changed. But when you look at this, this, this um, 
entity called the church, me and you, in our world today. Um, I was doing some research during the week, and it saddened me to, to, to read things like this, that there's a 4% decline every decade of the church in, in the world. The church gets smaller, 4% every year. Isn't that sad? And that's not the book of Acts, church. For every church that is planted in this world that, that, that actually gets established, four and a half of them close. That's sad. And I look at that, and I look at the book of Acts, and I think, God, what are we missing? What is the local church missing? Because that's not the picture of the Bible. That might be the picture of our reality as we live it today, but it means that we're doing something wrong. It means that the Bible is, there's something in the Bible that we're missing. And I want to look a little bit at that this morning. As we, church is no longer, and I say this not as a um, condemnation, but as maybe just what I'm feeling at the moment. Not really the hope of the world anymore. And I think we can change that. I really do. I really believe the reason that we struggle so much to get the church to be as powerful as in the book of Acts is because the church has become about attending a service on a Sunday and people watching something. And we've lost the participation of church. That church is actually about us living life together. That's where the power of church is. When, when men and women come and, and give their lives to Jesus Christ and realize that there's a new family I belong to and I want to actually live my life with them. And I want to grow with them and I want to get to know God with them and I want to change the world with them. That's what I think we've lost. I think it's become about coming to a Sunday and going home and coming to a Sunday and going home and there's never a living life together. And I want to challenge you this morning around this, this topic about how do we live our lives together. I think that the, the Bible warns us very clearly, I'm going to get to there in the book of Revelation, that the challenge around any church is this, that you can become professional, you can become a well-oiled machine, you can have great services, you can have great worship, you can have all the things that are right, but you can miss any key element to what makes the church powerful and that is a real passion for God and a real passion for God's people and I think that in our society with, with, with technology and that we do we strive for excellence and we strive for professionalism and they're good things but when we lose our hearts and it's just about that I don't think there's power in that church and I think that's in, when you turn to the book of Revelation the, it, uh, the Jesus, is in, it's a vision to John. And in Revelation 2, 1 to 7, I think you can turn there if you if you um, got your Bibles with you. I don't have any scriptures. I've just got the notes. So please turn there. But when you look at this portion of scripture, the Spirit of God, Jesus is, is warning a church. And he's telling them, he's saying, you guys are professional. You're a great church. But there's a key element that's missing in this church. And so let's read it together. It's in Revelation 2, 1 to 7. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know all the things you've done. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say that they are apostles and they are not. You have discovered them as liars. You have patiently suffered for, for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. 
If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Jesus says that he knows his church. He knows where his church is at. And I want to remind you that when I say that, I'm not talking about a building, a a group of people. I'm talking about us. He knows us. He knows where we're at. And he says to this church, and he commends them, and he says, you know what, you guys, I'll read it here. I know all the things you've done. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. Let me tell you, that's a church that has got brilliant programs. And they're out in their communities, and they're doing things, and they're working hard for the gospel and the kingdom of God. And it's professional, and it's all working, and it's well-oiled. Great Sunday services, great youth programs, everything is great. I know you don't tolerate evil people. They don't tolerate evil. They, they, they strive for holiness. You don't, you've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles and not. You have discovered them as liars. This is a church that has a high value for doctrinal purity. Biblical purity. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Man, they've gone through some tough times, but because their eyes are on Jesus and they, their motives are right, they've, they've walked through those and they've, they've, they've endured them. And when, when you look at this church, you start to realize, you know what, many of us will go to this kind of church where everything works, where everything is, looks good, where they strive for holiness, where they deal with sin where they teach the Bible as the Bible it should be taught, where their motives are right. And we look at this church and you think, man, but that is a great church. And I think it is a great church. But Jesus comes to them and he says, but I've got this one thing against you. There's one complaint I have against you. And this, you don't love me or, or you don't love each other as you did at first. The, many versions say you've left your first love. That word le- left means that you've abandoned, you, you've, you've turned, turned your back, you've moved away. You've deserted your first love. And because of that, I'd actually shut this church down, is how it ends, if you don't change that. And I look at that and I think to myself, man, Lord, we have to be so careful not to be professional churches who lose our love and our passion for you and our love and our passion for each other. Because then we're just organizations. We're not the church of the living God. Jesus is actually explaining through this that there's a key element that every church needs. I remember when I was young, I baked. I tried to bake. <laughs> I thought it was easy. I took a recipe book, and um, my parents were out, so I thought that's a good time to try this. And um, it said one TP of baking powder. I didn't know there was a difference between a teaspoon and a tablespoon, so I took two tablespoons. And I put it in, and uh, my pancakes were this thick. Um, and I made everybody eat them. They almost died. But um, what I learned from that is that sometimes key ingredients are important. You know, you get the key ingredient wrong, you end up with a disaster. You can do everything else right. And I think what, what, what the angel, what the, what the Lord is teaching to that, that um, church in Ephesus is this. The key ingredient to a powerful church, a key ingredient to a church that impacts and influences its world, is a church that has a passion for Jesus and a passion for each other. That is the key ingredient. Everything else is fantastic and is needed. But if we lose that, we lose our influence. And so Jesus responds to this church. Now, you know, what I love about the Lord is that he actually gives them the way forward. He says to them, remember from where you've fallen. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 1.5, uh, you can't see, yeah, Ephesians 1.15 actually. 
This is 40 years before this letter was written, by, or this vision was given to John. 40 years before, he writes to the, the church in Ephesus and he says, Ever since I first heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for God's people everywhere. You see, they were known for their love. They were known for their love for God. They were known for their love for each other. And, and the, the, the angel says to them, remember where you have fallen from 40 years later. You were a church that loved. You loved me and you loved each other. But it's not there anymore. Remember where you've fallen from. This is what you do. You repent. It means you just change and you go back to where, the way it should be. And here's the interesting thing. And do the things that you did at first. What does that mean? He doesn't say, go to another conference. He doesn't say, read another book. He doesn't say, go on another bunch of courses. He doesn't say, find the prophet to prophesy over you. He doesn't say, go and find another encouraging word. He says, go and do the things you did at first. You know, when I first gave my life to the Lord, man, I was so passionate. I wanted to read the Bible all the time. I wanted to pray all the time. I wanted to be at church all the time. I was at church all the time. Because I fell in love with Jesus. And I think that's a little bit of an indication of what it means. That when we start as church and start to move away from our love for God and love for each other, we need to remind ourselves, what was I like when I gave my life to Jesus Christ? When I first met Him, what was I like? Because that will bring a fire back into your bones. What were you like when you gave your life to Jesus the first time and you realized this love? What was your passion for the word like? What was your passion for prayer like? What was your passion for wanting to be with God's people like? What was your passion to want to serve in God's house like? What was your passion to want to meet the needs of those around you like? You see, what, what the angel is telling that church is that you've moved away from that stuff. I, I'm, as pastors, I mean, one of the most notable, noticeable things for me is this, is that when new believers come, we don't have to convince them to attend anything. They want to be there. But for mature believers, we have to get guest speakers and fancy things and just to try and get some people to actually come to church and get involved. And I think that when I look at that and I look at the Word of God here in Revelation chapter 2, I think that there's a truth here that we have to be so conscious of all the time is that when we mature in our faith, we can't move away from the things we started with. And I know that in my life, it's the truth. I've moved away from many of those things, and I have to continuously drag myself back and say, get passionate like you were when you first came to know Jesus Christ. And so the Bible tells us this. I want to encourage you this morning. I don't know what you were like when you gave your life to Jesus. I don't know what's changed. But I want to say to you this morning that if you're feeling a bit cold and dry in your relationship with God, if you're feeling that you don't really want to be around God's people and coming to church isn't really what you want to do all the time, then maybe you need to just sit back, remember where you were when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, and know this, that's where God wants you. That's where God wants you. Because when you live your life like that, you will impact the world around you. Isn't that true? You'll impact the world around you. How far have we fallen at times? Let's get back to the first things, the first deeds we did. 
Now, it's easy to talk about experiences. You know, my experience, your experience, my inceptives might be different, um, that kind of thing. So I, I was praying, saying, God, isn't there an example in the Bible of first deeds? What was the church like when, when, when people got saved and it's the first time and I can use it as, a, and as, as an example because I need to go back to the Bible if I want to teach. And so the Lord reminded me again that, you know what, I worked it out. 97% of the church in the book of Acts was new believers. How's that? 97%. Jock, I don't know how we're going to disciple them. But 97% of the church, 5,000 people. The Bible says there were 120, and then they became 5,000. So do, I think I've got the math right, 97%. What were these believers like? Because they were living their first deeds right there and then. They were brand new believers. The Bible actually answers that question for us. The Bible begins to tell us, to sketch a picture for us about what... There we go. What this church was like. What these believers were like. So, I'm going to read through that. I've got the scriptures up there. And if you, in the book of Acts, please would you just read them with me. Acts 2, 41-47 says, Those who believed... What Peter had said were baptized and added to the church that day was about 3,000 all. Now listen to this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came upon them all. And the apostles performed many miracle signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in the homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And here's a fantastic verse. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. They didn't need fancy programs. They lived life together. And because they lived life together, God added to their number. Can you believe that? How simple was that? Acts 4, 32 to 35. All the believers, all the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. And they shared everything they had. And the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's blessing was upon them all. There was no need... uh, needy people among them because those who owned lands or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Acts five twelve to 14. And the apostles were performing many miracles, signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But none, no one else dared to join them even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women. Imagine that day when crowds of both men and women give their life to Jesus Christ. Acts 5.42 And every day in the temple and from house to house they continue to teach and preach this message. There's three things. There's more, but there's three things I want to highlight that are so apparent about this church. One is that it was a powerful church. How many times did it say that there were signs and there were miracles and there were wonders and the power of God and thousands of people were saved? Isn't that our dream? 
as a church. Isn't that what Rulof communicated last week? We want to see thousands of people give their life to the Lord in this church. Thousands. 500 is my appetizer. It's a starter. And this is about a 24-course meal. But we, are, we are trusting God to save thousands and thousands of people, just like He did then. The second thing is that there was a generous church. People's hearts were open towards each other. There was a need in that church because when a need arose, somebody in the church met that need. They were generous. Imagine that as a testament in our world today. Imagine you could go to work tomorrow and people are saying, oh, we've got all these problems, we've got all these needs. And you say, you know, I belong to a church where nobody has any need because we look after each other. What a testament for the kingdom of God. Think of that. The third thing is this. It's apparent from all those verses that they lived life together. That there wasn't this thing about, I go to church on a Sunday and I'll see you next Sunday again. Or I'll see you in six weeks' time because that's the average, according to stats, that people go to church every six weeks. They lived life together. I believe that's why that was such a powerful church. The Bible says that they met daily in each other's houses. Think about that. If I have to meet daily and Septi in your house, I'll get to know Septi. I'll know what's going on in Septi's life. We'll become friends. We'll trust each other. We'll begin to share. Over a short period of time, I'll know what his needs are. I'll know if I could help him, if he could help me. He'll, we'll carry each other's burdens. We'll, there's the power of the local church. But we're missing that at the moment. And I'm not saying us is the bottom. I think we're missing that in the world. This community of the local church. The Bible tells us that their first deeds were four things. They were passionate about the Word of God. The teaching of the Word of God. Remember when you fell in love with Jesus, how passionate you were about the Word of God. They were passionate about breaking bread together. Why is that important? Because the Bible tells us when you break bread together, we remember that Christ died on the cross for us, that our sins are forgiven, and that He's coming back. And isn't that one of the most exciting things about being a new believer is when you realize your sins have been forgiven and you have eternity to wait for. They were excited about that. They were excited about prayer. Don't you remember when you were first fell in love with Jesus how you, you didn't have to be asked to pray? You'd pray. Every time you get a chance, you'd pray. And then the, fo- the fourth thing is the Bible tells us that they had fellowship. They had koinonia. I think that's what it's called. Or was that a program on TV? Yeah, no, I, think it's, I think that is what it's called. And that's where I want to just park for the next 10 minutes. They had fellowship. Koinonia means that there's a mutual sharing of life. It's a mutual sharing between people. Thoughts, ideas, struggles, emotions, resources, skills. That's koinonia. I'm not having a go at you when I say this, but, but having a coffee with somebody every four weeks for, for 20 minutes is not koinonia. What we see from the early church is what fellowship looked like was that people would make a choice to sacrificially and intentionally spend time together around a centerpiece called Jesus Christ. And they, I I don't know how they did it. Obviously, they didn't work very hard. I don't know how they did it. To be able to spend every day in each other's houses, we'd kill each other, I think. But the Bible says they were devoted to it. It means that there was a choice. 
I, I, I can imagine they irritated each other terribly. But they made a choice because they knew that in this community, for us to thrive, we have to live life together. I don't know how the Spirit of God got that into them, but, but we see it and we see the fruit from it. And so when you look at how they did fellowship, the Bible tells us they fellowshiped in two ways. They would go on a, on a weekly basis probably to the temple courts, a corporate meeting. And then they would spend a lot of time day to day in each other's homes. Now listen to the difference between these two meetings. The first one is a corporate celebration. We come to church on a Sunday. It's a corporate celebration. The other one was done in homes. Listen to the corporate celebration. It's where you find instruction and inspiration. But it's in the homes that we find application and encouragement. If you don't know what I'm talking about this, this, this morning, you can go to your life group on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and say, I don't know what he was talking about. Can you help me? And they'll help you to understand what, what hopefully, <laughs> what the application point was. It's where you get encouraged because people know where you are at and they know how to encourage you. It's very difficult. We, we trust that the Spirit of God will encourage people on Sundays, but it's far more personal in, in, in a small group. Yeah, you listen. But when you're in people's homes, you have your say. You could talk about it. Yeah, we worship God. That's our centerpiece. But when you get to a small group and when you get to a committed group of people, it's about your walk with God. When we look at this type of service, yeah, we, we lift God up as God most high. But when you're in a smaller, intimate group of people that are living life together, we start to realize that God is actually very intimate. He's right there in the midst of everything we're going through. This is very spectator orientated. But in life groups and in small groups and in ministries where it's a small bunch of people getting together, it's participation orientated. You have to get involved. Yeah, we meet corporate needs, but in a life group, in a small group or a ministry where it's a bunch of, a few people, that's when you meet personal needs. And I hope that by just illustrating that to you, you can see that the biblical model for fellowship is both, not one or the other. And you know what, so many people, I hear when I phone them and I say, you've left the church, why have you left the church? No, I don't feel connected, I don't feel part of the family, I feel isolated. I say, did you connect anyway? No, 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 I didn't because we don't have the time. And I think to myself, but you're only understanding 50% of God's model. You know, we, we often think that this is to organize, church organization, these things about life groups and small groups and get connected is because, because that's how pastors want their churches. No, it's because that's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches for us to thrive in our faith and our, and our walk with God. We need to have a corporate setting and we need to be connected where we have a few bunch of people who we walk very closely with. That's where the power sits. That's where the life sits. And so when I hear people say, I don't feel connected, and, and if you're feeling like that this morning, I want to ask you, are you connected into a smaller group of people? Because that's where you're going to feel the power and the, and the, and, 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 uh, the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right there, with that small bunch of people. Fellowship has uh, so many, so many um, advantages. These small groups... And I'm, when I say small groups, it could be a ministry, it could be a prayer group, it could be a, a life group, it could, it's just a small bunch of people who are living life together and living this walk together. There's four things quickly that I want to talk to you about. The first one is this. Small groups is where you grow. If you're battling to grow in your faith, get yourself connected into a small group of people who are like-minded. 
Jesus demonstrated that to us. You know, Jesus preached to thousands and thousands, but he discipled 12. And they changed the world. And so we see already from Jesus' life that there was this point where the crowds would get together. But the only way you can really get the message in, the real, this is how you live this life, this is how you walk this life, this is how you live for Jesus Christ, is when a, cup, a few people sit together and they work it out together. That's where the power sits. And so I don't, I don't, know, if you can, I don't know if you can really grow effectively if you're not connected in to a small group. Where's the clicker? Oh, yeah. No, I'm so far behind again. There we go. We're coming there. We're getting there. Yeah, let's leave it there. So I think growth is one of the biggest things why we should be in small groups. Let me test something with you this morning. When you're feeling a bit stale in your relationship with God, what do you do? Do you buy another book? Do you look for another conference? Do you maybe sign up for a course? And there's nothing wrong with any of these. They're all good. I'm not, I'm not this. They're all good. Do you ask God to send somebody to pray over you? Do you wait for another prophetic word? Or so I think if, if you're going that route, you're going the wrong route. Because what I understand from the book of Revelation chapter 2 is that when our love goes cold, we need relationship. You don't need more head knowledge. You don't need more information. You need relationship. Because it's the relationships that are going to hold you accountable. It's the relationships that are going to help you when you're going on the wrong path to pull you back. You know, when you come to a church and you don't connect and you come in and out, you can do whatever you want during the week. Nobody's going to bother you. And maybe that's why we do that. But if you're in a relationship, somebody's going to bother you and say, you know what you did there? You shouldn't be doing that. That's not honoring to God. Let me help you. Let me walk this thing through you. And so, there's power in these small groups. The Bible says to us that iron sharpens iron. What does that mean? Iron has to touch iron to sharpen it. That means if you want to sharpen your spiritual life, your, your growth, then you need to touch with the other irons, which is people around you. The Bible talk, talks about this, this concept of one another 143 times in the New Testament, but 60 times are around relational issues. Now listen to these. Hebrews 10, 24 says, spur each other on. My daughter's just gone to New Zealand for something, and I had to spur her on. But I knew I had to spur on because I knew her. Let me tell you, it's hard to spur people on when you don't know them. Because what are you spurring them on to do? Listen to some other of these, these verses. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins one to another. You know how difficult it is to confess your sin to somebody that you don't know? But when I trust Septi, and I know that he loves me, I love him. I can go to him, Septi, I'm struggling with a sin, please pray for me. That happens in a small, intimate relationship, in a small group. Hebrews 3.13, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, uh, 5.11, Romans 14.10-21 says encourage and build one another up. Again, the principle is this. How do you do it when there's 400 people sitting alongside you? But when there's 12, you can do it. You can live it. Carry one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2. 
Um, Galatians 6.10, do good to one another. Romans 15.1, be patient with one another. Romans 1.12, mutually comfort one another. The point I'm trying to make is that many of you sitting here today, they haven't even experienced that towards you. Never mind doing it for other people. And I'll tell you the reason why is because we are not connected and living our lives together. Because all church is becoming is a Sunday service. And God has got so much more for us. We're missing 50% of what church is meant to be if all we come to is a Sunday service. I think that these small groups, whatever they are, whatever you're connected, are so powerful. I remember when I went to a small group, I didn't know how to pray. They helped me to learn to pray. I didn't know what fasting was. They helped me to understand what fasting was. If When I was struggling with, with something in my life, I could go to my small group and I, I talk through it and they encouraged me and they carried that burden with me and they lifted me up. And when I was struggling with something, they the ones. And you know, I felt connected to the body of Christ. But when I drifted away and I wasn't part of this, 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 this group of people where there was accountability, I started to go from church to church to church because none of them met my spectatorship need. And I had to get back to understand that we you know what church is really about. It's about me living my Christian life with other people who are like-minded. And together we're going to change this world. The second thing is this. Small groups, accountable groups, they encourage you to function. We're also going to preach on this next week. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12 to 27. You know the analogy. We're part of the, the body of Christ. That every one of us have got a part to play in it. Every single one of us. God has given you a gift. The Bible tells us that we need each other. That if, if I'm not going to, Jock is not functioning, the whole body suffers. Now imagine that if that analogy is true, it means that all of us here this morning should be finding our place of, what, of, the, of the functioning that God has put us in this place to do. Because if you don't, then we're all going to suffer. We, there's something going to be missing in this body. You, you know where I found out what my gifts were? Not in a corporate setting like this. When I went to my life group and I started to speak to them about, I'd love to see people saved. Man, I'd love to see people saved. And my life group leader said to me, Nick, maybe there's a gift of evangelism over you. And I said, Tim, I don't know what that is, but let's go for it. And we start to work it out. And then I, I, I would see things like the gift of um, wisdom, uh, wisdom and, and knowledge. And, and I'd think to myself, Lord, man, I'd love to do that. I'd see it operate in a life group. And I'd go, man, I'd, I'd love to do that. And, 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 and then I'd start to read scriptures like, you know, desire the gifts, but especially prophecy. And I'd say, but God, I want, how do I do this? And I'd go to my life group and I'd say, I want to do this. And he'll say, okay, go with the Holy Spirit. I'm right alongside you. Where you get it wrong, I'm going to help you. But where you get it right, I'm going to help you. And we're going to work this thing out together. And within a matter of time, I, I had a clear understanding. Man, this is how God's put me together to function in, in his body. But it's very difficult when we come to a Sunday service like this. And that's our only experience of church. So many people... So many of us sitting here don't know what your function and your role is. And I want to encourage you, if you had to get yourself into a group of people 
where you can work this out together, uh, by the end of this year, you'll know. I'm telling you, you'll know. Because they'll walk it with you. And you'll work it out together. You'll work out your salvation together. The third thing is it's very countercultural to have these committed relationships. What's the time? No, okay, very quickly. It's countercultural. You know that we live in a very isolated world. You know, we've got all the social media. There's nothing social about it. It's just media. It's just about you and I putting platforms together to tell the world how wonderful we are. And then, you know what amazes me? I, okay, here's the truth. When somebody comes to see me, I Facebook stalk them. Because I don't know who they are a lot of times. So I, I Facebook. Then I see you on this thing, and, and it's like, I think myself, oh my goodness, they've got the best life ever. And they sit there, and their life's falling apart. And it's been like that for 10 years. And I look at their Facebook profile, and I look at them, and I think, what the heck's going on here? Because this, and that's not the same person. Then they walk out, and an hour later, they'll be like this, I love life, hashtag I love life. And I think myself, but an hour, that you were like sitting here two hours ago, and you were like falling to pieces. Because that's what's so, we, we put these personas out there, and people connect with these personas, but nobody knows you. Nobody knows you. And so we lose this gift that God has given us. That there are people around you that will care for you. And will lift you up and encourage you. And walk us walk with you. And so all we do is we click little things that say friend, 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 like, like, like. And suddenly it all grows. But when you go to bed at night, nobody really knows what you're really, really struggling with. And so I appeal to you, don't fall into the trap and the deception of this world, but understand that God's heart and plan for you is that you connect with His people and that you love His people. And when you do that, that fire and that passion for Him will never die. Because that's what it teaches us in, in Revelation chapter 2. Get back to those things. And that, that passion will come back. The last one is this. Our, one of our greatest testimonies is our witness. Our witness is our greatest witness. Jesus said that. Let's, let's look at that quickly. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Imagine, as I said earlier, if you, we can go to our schools, our varsities, our workplaces, our families who don't know Jesus and say, you know what? There's a place where I'm so loved, where people care for me. And you know, when I have problems, they actually meet my needs. And they help me to walk closer to God and I just love this place. I think if that was the message of God's church, we'd see far more people coming to church. So, in conclusion, I'm not standing here because I'm trying to convince you to join a life group. I'm, I'm passionate about this with all my heart because I see a church, God's church, losing its power, in a sense, because we are not connected to each other. God will change this world through me and you. That's his model. But we need each other. We need to walk closely with each other. We need to hold each other accountable. And I, we can't do it in a big setting like this. That's why I think it's such a beautiful picture that the church, the first church, had both this and small. Both big and both small. But it's at the small where the life really sits. 
And it's at the small where you really get connected and where you really get loved and where you can really work out your gifts and where you can really pour out what God's putting into, out of your life into, into other people's lives. And you can walk a journey with somebody. And you can see lives changed. And you can go back to your workplace and say, there's this phenomenal place where I meet 12 people and my life has never been the same again. Because I'm so passionate about God and so passionate about them. That's why I wanted to preach this sermon this morning. We're doing a lot of things as a church to try and connect people. Not so that we can just tick off a box. But your relationship with God actually depends on it. That's why we started interest groups. So that you can connect on something that you like. That's why we push in saying, guys, get, get involved in life groups. Not just so, the, so that we can say we've got 100 life groups. But that we can get the majority of our church into these relationships that the Bible talks about. Get involved in a ministry. Join a course. Get involved. Participate. Because when participation begins to die, I believe the church begins to die. And so I appeal to you this morning. Not having a go at you, I'm appealing to you. Don't fall into the deception that we see in our city today where people cycle from church to church but never get connected. God's model is for you to be connected to each other. And for us to get together like this and celebrate together, but for us to get to be connected. Amen.